Chapter Seven of One Commonplace Day by Pansy. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter Seven: Logic. Mister Durant's face was growing bright. Here was a woman who meant business. This prayer meeting, he said, you would find that it could reach in many ways. It ought to be the place where the wives and mothers and sisters and daughters of drunkards could meet, sure of sympathetic hearts to join with them in prayer for their loved ones bound in chains. "'I don't know many such who pray, Mr. Durant,' Miss Wainwright's voice was gentle, but it was plain that the suggestion touched her, thrilled her. She saw its possibilities, if only they had been people who prayed at all. "'No, many of them do not, but they ought to be one to pray.' They are heavily burdened, how heavily no one can fully realize, unless he has been one of the burden-bearers, or one of the enslaved. The knowledge of the fact that a dozen people, or three, or two, or one person, had set apart an hour in which to pray for them and theirs, would draw these women as nothing else could. They would not all rush in the moment they heard of such a meeting, because the sad fact is that our way of praying for those poor victims is not such as to convince lookers-on that we are terribly in earnest. But, once assured of that fact, such sufferers can be won. How many times have you tried it, Miss Wainwright? Never once, said that lady, shutting her lips together with great firmness. Something in the tone encouraged Mr. Durant to believe that she would never have a like answer to make again. Another point. With how many homes of drunkards are you familiar? How many wives know of you as one woman to whom they can come, when the bitterness of hell on earth gets hold of them, assured that your heart will be ready to sympathize, and your hand will be reached out to help? How many poor fellows, on their way to the comfortable liquor saloons, where at least they can have light and warmth, have you taken by the hand with friendly words and offers of assistance in any form that you thought they most needed? Miss Wainwright was spared the need for a reply. It was Miss Fleming who suddenly took up the conversation from her standpoint. But don't you think, Mr. Durant, that such treatment would be simply encouraging men who have no business to make beasts of themselves? For my part, I have no patience with drunkards. If I spoke to them at all, I would tell them so. I don't believe in encouraging vice. Mr. Durant gave her the benefit of a pair of flashing eyes. My dear young lady, he said, do you know you are talking about what you do not in the least understand? I confess to having very little patience with moderate drinkers or occasional drinkers, because they boast, and I suppose believe, that they can easily give up the fascinations of alcohol whenever they choose. And, believing this, they deliberately choose not to give it up, though they know, every one of them, that their example helps others to ruin. But a drunkard is as veritable a slave as though he were chained hand and foot with visible chains. He can no more, with his own unaided strength, break those chains than he could with his two hands break away from the iron chain and padlock which held him behind prison bars. He is the victim of a disease, merciless in its grasp, and yet of such a nature that it will require will-power to overcome it, and he has so weakened his will-power by disease that it has not force enough to overcome. As a rule, a stronger will than his must step in to the rescue, and he must, with his weak will, lay hold on that strong one, or the man is lost. 
it is the business of christ's people to be forever pointing out that strong will and urging by all means in their power those diseased wills to hide themselves in this strong one you may not have patience with a drunkard human patience is a very weak and contemptible thing but if you belong to the lord jesus christ you have found in him infinite patience and it is his command that you struggle to make this patience yours and to watch over and weep over and pray for the fallen with christ-like patience and christ-like tenacity he had fairly poured out the words upon her while the others sat listening silent yet if one might judge from their faces busy with earnest thought oh well said miss fleming with a light laugh i am not a fanatic may i ask you miss fleming what a fanatic is what it is why it is a a, a fanatic precisely i wanted a definition of the word i infer from your use of it that you judge me for instance to be one it was for that reason i asked the question i think webster defines fanatic as one who indulges in wild or extravagant notions especially on religious subjects now i would like to ask you whether you consider it extravagant to believe that a drunkard needs saving if he is ever going to be fit for heaven and that the lord jesus christ is able and willing to save if the drunkard can only be persuaded to accept of his aid is there anything fanatical about that i think a man need not be a drunkard unless he chooses and if he chooses to so degrade himself he is a person not worth thinking about certain significant glances were exchanged behind the back of the speaker and charlie lambert went so far as to say why josie well i don't said miss fleming in increasing irritation and i should say the same thing about my own brother or father was it possible that she did not know that at least the brother was in great and increasing danger this was the thought in more than one heart but mr durant looked in no wise shocked it would have been hard for josie fleming to have advanced an idea however illogical or unchristian that he had not heard before suppose for the sake of argument that i grant part of your statement that a man need not become a drunkard unless he chooses there is a period in his life when this is undoubtedly true now let us see where this logic leads a man mounts a vicious horse to take a ride for pleasure he is aware that the horse is dangerous that he has thrown others he is warned not to try it he knows that the road down which he has determined to ride is a peculiarly dangerous one other accidents have occurred there he need not travel that road unless he chooses he need not ride that horse unless he chooses he chooses to do it he is thrown and his hip joint is broken and his leg is broken in two places and he lies on the road where the down train will pass in a few hours he can no more pick himself up and limp back to safety with his poor maimed limbs than he can gather himself up and fly and he is your brother do i understand you to say he is not worth thinking about that he ought to be left to lie there and perish mr durant how far do you think a man can indulge his taste for liquor and yet keep inside the line where he can reform if he will it was not josie fleming but lloyd mclean who asked the question and there was so much earnestness in his voice that more than one turned and looked closely at him mr durant shook his head 
it is not for me it is not for any man to say the supposed power of the human will is what has wrecked many a soul it is like other organs of the body like the muscles for instance put them under careful training give them legitimate work to do develop them in the line in which they were meant to be developed and you may trust them to almost any extent but let them lie flabby and useless or abuse them by systematic ill-use and they are unfit for a strain not to be depended upon god meant that the human will should be a great engine for good but the human will perverted is a rotten plank on which one's weight cannot be trusted i tremble for a man who has the natural taste for intoxicants in his system i tremble for any man who indulges to ever so slight a degree in that which can create a thirst for intoxicants in fact i may almost say that in this age of the world and with the temptations toward this evil which lie thickly strewn in every road i tremble for any man whose will is not anchored on the rock christ jesus still men do pledge their wills that they will have nothing to do with the poison and apparently unaided they succeed in overcoming it was still mclean who spoke and there was still the ring of deep feeling in his voice yes mr durant said there are men who do there is now and then one who actually overcomes the thirst after it has been once developed there are a very few who have lived through life in that way and died saved so far as this world is concerned without christ but the number is so few that the statistics should alarm instead of encourage us and why any man should want to subject his will to such a fearful strain as that and accomplish only a halfway salvation which will not reach beyond the grave is more than i can understand especially when the world is so full of such grand chances to educate the will in directions which will tell for eternity as well as time i confess i wish i could see young men at least becoming ambitious to reach their highest but some men think it is the mark of a coward to whine about their inability to keep themselves in temptation i know some men talk so but every true man knows that it is the mark of a coward to run into needless danger and i pity the man who has not brain-power enough and insight into the future enough not to be willing to be anchored in god i would like to describe to you if i could the way in which mr durant spoke that name there was such a reminder in it that he felt a rock of strength underneath every one who anchored there still don't you think a promise made to another goes a great way it was the first time mildred powers had spoken since the conversation had become general mr durant turned toward her his face pale and grave yes he said earnestly it sometimes goes a great way i promised my mother when she lay dying that i would never touch a drop of liquor in any form and it held me for nine months and just a year from the night she died i lay in the gutter all night drunk it was after that months afterward that i cast myself on god confessing to him that i could not even be true to my mother and he undertook the desperate case for me and has held me ever since i know that my safety is in him but i would urge the human pledge always and cry out always after the higher absolutely safe ground i am glad that young mclean made one of our party this afternoon and heard the words he did i am deeply interested in that young man and would like to get some sort of a hold on him 
if i am not mistaken some things which mr durant said have made an impression it was mr cleveland who spoke and his words were addressed to miss wainwright the collation was over the debris was being cleared away and the various companies were strolling about gathering ferns and other souvenirs of the bright autumn day miss wainwright started visibly as this sentence was spoken low for her ear and a curious look came into her face what did you say his name was mclean the young man who came up the cliff in company with miss powers young lambert introduced you i did not notice the name who is he a young man who is employed in the post office here he has not been here long i am told but I happened to be deeply interested in him, because I knew of his father. He was my father's business agent once, and my father tried to save him. Are you speaking of James L. McLean, who studied law at Harvard? He was the father. Did you know him? I knew him when he was young, younger perhaps than this boy. I don't know. What became of him? He died a drunkard. Miss Wainwright started again, and a gray look came into her face. "'Are you sure?' she asked with energy. "'Well, I shouldn't say that. He was injured in a drunken quarrel between some of the railroad men whom it was his duty to oversee. He lived for two or possibly three weeks, but I have understood that he was in great pain, and I never heard anything to base a hope on that he did not die as he had lived. Yet the particulars of his death I never heard.' I have thought, since I met the son, that I would like to know more, but it is a hard thing to inquire about. Lloyd must have been quite a boy when his father died. Did you know the family intimately, Miss Wainwright? I did not know the family at all. I knew James when he was in college. We were good friends, but we quarreled on this very question, and I never saw him afterward. Still, there must have been some change before he died. It seems to me there must have been. There was peculiar emphasis on the last sentence. Mr. Cleveland regarded her searchingly for a moment, and was silent. "'The Lord answers the prayer of those who try to do right and trust in Him, doesn't He, Mr. Cleveland?' "'Always, but it may not always be in the way we plan.' Then both were silent, until Miss Wainwright suddenly said, "'Well, we must save the son. I wonder if he wouldn't come to that prayer meeting. When shall we have it, Mr. Cleveland?' I didn't know James had a son. It is strange I did not notice the name. How strangely lives are mixed! I wonder if it will be discovered some day that we all had to do with the shaping of all other lives, though we did not know it. She was a good deal shaken. Some memory of an old experience had stirred her strangely. But she broke off suddenly to call Mr. Durant, who was passing. He was helping Mildred Powers down the cliff, and Lloyd McLean was doing the same for Kate Hartzell. "'Mr. Durant, you did not tell me who that other woman was.' "'That other woman,' said Mr. Durant, pausing on a ledge of rock, "'is Miss Priscilla Hunter, a maiden lady who has just come here to live. If you have not heard of her before, you will do well to make her acquaintance. I think you will find her a woman after your own heart on the temperance question, as well as on some others.' She will come to your prayer meeting without a doubt. When do you mean to start it? Next Saturday night, said Miss Wainwright promptly. I think that will be the best evening. It is the nearest available one, anyway, since today is Thursday. 
I like to do things before they get cold. Young man, and she suddenly turned and laid her hand on Lloyd McLean's arm, will you come to the meeting? He looked surprised and shook his head with a smile in his merry eyes. I think you will be glad to excuse me, Miss Wainwright. Prayer meetings of any sort are not in my line. I didn't ask you whether they were or not. I want you to come to this one. It won't be in the line of any prayer meeting that you have ever heard of, I don't believe. I want to see you. I knew your father once. The handsome boyish face shadowed for a moment. Then Lloyd said, I will come and see you. Will you come on Saturday evening? But this he would not promise. End of chapter 7